the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. These were the words of United States President Joe Biden in an interview he delivered in September of 2022, as recounted by Cheryl Gay Stolberg in the New York Times article titled, Biden says the pandemic is over, but at least 400 people are dying daily. Biden's comments were certainly rather disturbing and misleading, considering the state of the nation and represented a blissful indifference to the stories of millions of Americans who continue to suffer from COVID-19 and its effects to this very day. Former Hofstra professor Peter Goodman, whose wife, Debbie, died from COVID-19 on August 17th of 2022, tearfully responded to Biden's comments, according to Stolberg by simply saying that, quote, it's not over for me, end quote. Biden and his administration received some considerable pushback over these rather insensitive remarks. On November 1st, 2022, MSNBC host Mehdi Hassan conducted a very important interview with White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, in which Hassan asked the very significant and essential question of, quote, 11,000 Americans died in the past month from COVID, hospitalizations ticking up, hundreds of people still dying every day, long COVID affecting one in five people who got COVID, according to the CDC. How can your boss, the president, say the pandemic is over? End quote. Klain responded by claiming that Hassan was taking him out of context, at which Hassan blatantly asked, quote, is the pandemic over or not? End quote. Klain started to respond by saying, quote, The fight against COVID certainly isn't over. End quote. Hassan quickly interjected to clarify, quote, But the pandemic's over, in your view? End quote. Klain abstracted Biden's comments to assert that, quote, The phase of the pandemic, where we were all locked in our homes, not going outside, not going to work, where we had no vaccines, where we had no treatments, that phase is over. And what's replaced it? 700 million shots administered in the United States. And the bottom line is, those tragic 400 deaths a day, those deaths are now preventable in a way that they weren't two years ago. End quote. Unfortunately, while Klain's statements are certainly more appropriate than Biden's, they are still somewhat misleading. The notion that the deaths incurred by COVID-19 are now preventable due to vaccine distribution is not wrong, but it also does give a false sense of total and complete security to Americans and their families that have taken the vaccines. As David Wallace-Wells identifies in the New York Times article titled, COVID-19 isn't a pandemic of the unvaccinated anymore, quote, since the beginning of the pandemic, people 65 and older accounted for 75% of all American COVID deaths. That dropped below 60% as recently as September 2021. But today, Americans 65 and over account for 90% of new COVID deaths, an especially large share given that 94% of American seniors are vaccinated. Yet these facts seem to contradict stories we've told about what drives vulnerability to COVID-19. In January, Joe Biden warned that the illness and death threatened by the Omicron variant represented a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But that month, in which nearly 85,000 Americans died, the unvaccinated accounted for 59% of those deaths, down from 77,000 
20% the previous September, according to analysis by the Kaiser Family Foundation. The share of deaths among older adults that January was nearly 74%, end quote. While vaccinations are incredibly helpful in combating the spread of COVID-19, they also do not provide any American citizens with a free pass to completely disregard taking any more COVID-19 precautionary measures once vaccinated. According to Wallace Wells, quote, the share of deaths among people vaccinated and boosted grew significantly as well, from 12% in January 2022 to 36% in April. Those levels held roughly steady throughout the duration of the summer, during which time just about as many boosted Americans were dying as the unvaccinated. The share of deaths among older adults kept growing. In April, 79% of American deaths were among those 65 and older. In November, 90%. As many Twitter discussions about the base rate fallacy have emphasized, this is not because the vaccines are ineffective. We know also from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data that they work very well. Estimates of the effectiveness of updated bivalent boosters suggest they reduce the risk of mortality from COVID in Americans over the age of 12 by more than 93% compared with the population of unvaccinated. That is a very large factor, but it isn't the whole story or vaccinated older adults wouldn't now make up a larger share of COVID deaths than the unvaccinated do. That phenomenon arises from several other factors that are often underplayed. First is the simple fact that more Americans are vaccinated than not, and those older Americans most vulnerable to severe diseases are far more likely to be vaccinated than others. It is also partly a reflection of how many fewer Americans, including older ones, have gotten boosters than got the initial vaccines. 34% compared with 69%. The number of those who have gotten updated bivalent boosters is lower still. Just 12.7% of Americans over the age of five. End quote. Wallace Wells elaborates on this data by emphasizing how Quote, there is a bundle of things we know could help reduce transmission almost invisibly without really burdening individuals. Higher indoor air quality standards, for instance. You might even choose to target those investments and improvements less in schools than in care facilities, too. Would all that be sufficient? Probably not to eliminate some ongoing death toll, unfortunately, given how promiscuously the disease is spreading. But it would presumably reduce by some fraction those hundreds of deaths we're seeing each day. At the moment, the country is treating those deaths as the cost of normalcy. End quote. Protecting immunocompromised and elderly American populations goes beyond simply receiving the vaccines. Protecting these communities involves diligent masking and, when necessary, social distancing and quarantining. Comments made by individuals such as Klain send the wrong message to the American people that their efforts in proactively fighting the pandemic are no longer necessary to preserve life. Similarly, the lack of Americans receiving booster shots and Paxlovid is certainly incredibly troubling in a fact that Hassan points out very effectively in his interview with Klain. In his interview with Klain, Hassan reminds him that many of the American people, quote, 
aren't taking the boosters. They're not taking the boosters, and many experts, as you know, have argued that the president's mixed messaging, in or out of context, he did say the pandemic is over. That does have consequences. You have a you have a booster rate of half of Americans. We have one of the abysmally low booster rate compared to other countries. We have less than one in ten taking the new bivalent Omicron booster shot. That is a real problem, is it not? If people are not getting boosted, that is a failure of your administration. A lot of people are saying there's no booster campaign. We don't know about it. Half of Americans say they don't know there's a new booster. That's a failure. End quote. Hassan makes some very insightful and accurate points here that really demonstrate just how poorly Biden has handled the COVID-19 pandemic throughout 2022. While Biden's administration certainly marked a considerable improvement in the handling of the pandemic from that of his presidential predecessor, he has also seemed to want to all but abandon COVID-19 mitigation strategy planning throughout 2022. While Klain's comments may have been more digestible than Biden's, they also were simply unfortunately not what Biden actually said. Biden falsely said that the pandemic is over, and even seemed to disturbingly celebrate members of the audience that were not wearing masks. Similarly to how Klain tried to abstract and reframe Biden's concerning statements, Biden's health secretary, Javier Becerra, as Stolberg details, somewhat walked back and clarified Biden's comments by explaining that, quote, I think the president was reflecting what so many Americans are feeling and thinking, that COVID has disrupted our lives for so long, but we're also finding that with these effective vaccines, with masking, with the efforts to protect our children, seniors, we are learning how to cope with this virus. But make no mistake, people are still dying. End quote. However, as Stolberg aptly notes, quote, It's one thing for ordinary Americans to think and feel that the pandemic is over. It is another thing for the president to say it. Presidential pronouncements carry policy implications, and the Biden administration had to answer questions on Monday about whether the president's words would change anything. End quote. Unfortunately, this failure of the Biden administration has consequences. As Jamie Smith highlights in the Financial Times article titled, Investors Ditch Vaccine Stocks After Joe Biden Says Pandemic Is Over, quote, shares in Moderna, BioNTech, and Norovax fell as much as 9%, while Pfizer, which has a much broader portfolio of products, fell as much as 2% in early trading in New York. End quote. Someone as prominent in American politics as Biden, prematurely declaring the pandemic to be over, has a direct damaging of impact on the vaccine distribution efforts that could literally save millions of lives. By adopting a much more laissez-faire approach to the pandemic, Biden and his administration are putting their very own constituents in excess danger. As Hassan details on his show from April 18th, 2022, that can be accessed on MSNBC's YouTube page in a video titled, COVID isn't over, so why are we pretending? The Mehdi Hassan Show. When it comes to the Biden administration's messaging on the COVID-19 pandemic, contrary to what it was when Biden first took office, 
quote, Now it's a you-do-you kind of attitude. A Wall Street Journal headline from Sunday reads, Officials adopt new message on COVID-19 behaviors. It's your call. And as reporter Jared Hopkins writes, Health officials are leaving it up to people to assess if they need booster shots, whether to wear a mask, and how long to isolate after a positive test. I thought it was called public health for a reason. I guess not. Then you have someone like Liana Wen, the doctor and Washington Post columnist, who's been a vocal champion of abandoning mitigation efforts. She wrote earlier this month, I also think it's acceptable if event organizers choose not to exercise precautions and instead put the onus on individuals to decide the acceptable risk for their own medical situation. The price to pay to avoid coronavirus infection is extremely high. Extremely high? Is that how god-awful it is to wear a mask in a crowded indoor space that is considered paying an extremely high price and not just, I don't know, being cautious and considerate? If you remember, it was once Republicans, lawmakers, and voters alike who were rightly criticized for speaking out against any mitigation efforts, protesting against things like masks. They were seen as reckless, as selfish, as the epitome of that rugged American individualism that has little concern for the well-being of anyone other than oneself. Well, in the wake of vaccines that have cut the risk of hospitalizations and death, that has now become the prevailing approach to the pandemic across America's elite, both conservatives and liberal. Earlier this month, Dozens of Biden cabinet members, members of Congress, and the media tested positive after the annual gridiron dinner in D.C. I mean, the left criticized Trump for not showing leadership in 2020, for people around Trump not doing that. And now we have senior officials in this administration. We have people who were in the line of succession coming down with COVID at this event. You have doctors like Anthony Fauci and Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC. They were there without the testing, without the masking, without the distancing, without any apparent efforts aside from proof of vaccination to mitigate what became a super spreader event, end quote. The Biden administration relinquishing many of their previous commitments to mitigating the spread of COVID-19 and apparently choosing to mostly just ignore it is deeply troubling and emblematic of the true lack of consistent leadership that the United States has been saddled with throughout this pandemic. In this April 18th, 2022 reporting, Hassan reflects on comments made by Anthony Fauci in 2022, in which he declared that the pandemic should apparently now be approached according to an individual's own personal risk assessments. Hassan very aptly analyzes the idea of, quote, Individual risk? That's not how we were told a pandemic works two years ago. If there was any doubt that the fight to end COVID is no longer a collective thing, that probably settles it. This shift didn't happen in a vacuum. Part of it was about appeasing corporate interests and putting the economy first. Investigative journalist Walker Bragman Walker Bragman and Alex Koch revealed how the Koch Industries, vast, opaque, right-wing networks of nonprofits, have been promoting anti-lockdown, anti-public health research and messaging over the last two years. 
Joe Biden appointed Jeff Zients as White House COVID-19 response coordinator, a man who had little background in public health, but did have a strong background in finance. A former management consultant at Bain & Company, he later founded his own private equity firm before joining the board of Facebook for a couple of years. He was in charge. During the Omicron surge in December, it was Delta Airlines CEO who successfully lobbied the CDC to cut down the quarantine time for people who were infected with COVID. And the heads of Delta, American United, and other carriers have been lobbying to end mask mandates on planes and in airports. The public transportation mask mandate was set to expire on May the 3rd. It was extended, but on Monday, a federal judge in Florida vacated the CDC's mandate, which means no masks, even sooner than that, on the planes. We'll see how that goes. When it, moves to, when it comes to moving on from COVID, aside from putting the economy first, we also have the politics of it. Joe Biden and the Democrats, desperate to say the pandemic is over and that they should get credit for it as we head into the midterms, that's the strategy. But remember, last summer, last summer, when Biden held an event titled Independence from COVID, hundreds of thousands of Americans have died from COVID since that event, since that speech, and sorry, many of them vaccinated too. Hundreds, thousands more have long covid Something no one wants to talk about. End quote. Business interests have successfully compelled the Biden administration to change course on its COVID-19 strategies to essentially basically ignore the virus as much as possible. As a result, throughout 2022, the country has experienced an abrupt shift in its approach to the pandemic, in many ways because of the capitalistic demands of the most powerful special interests in the country. One of the most depressing parts of this is that many Democrats are allowing this to happen in an effort to put political capital ahead of human lives. Biden and his administration have made some crude sacrifices in order to curry favor with sections of the American electorate that are exhausted of having to behave responsibly through masking and social distancing. As Hassan insightfully explains on his April 18th, 2022 show, quote, if I told you in early 2020 that there would come a time when we as a country Liberals and conservatives alike would be ignoring the spread of COVID, ignoring rising case numbers, ignoring hundreds of daily deaths, ignoring our booster rate and declaring the pandemic over. You would have thought I was nuts. But that is exactly where we are today. We're not all in this together. It's every person for themselves, regardless of health or wealth. End quote. In all fairness to Biden, he has still made some relevant gestures to COVID-19 mitigation efforts. According to Stephen Nelson's article in the New York Post titled, Biden gets fifth COVID shot, says virus still a threat weeks after calling pandemic over, Biden did acknowledge that hundreds of people are still dying from COVID-19 every day. However, there is no doubt that Biden has played a role in downplaying the severity 
of the pandemic. The Biden administration certainly bears some of the blame for this insensitive new approach to the pandemic. However, this problem has also become more complicated than simply a failure of leadership at the highest echelons of a federal government lobbied by influential business interests selfishly eager to abandon any pandemic mitigation efforts. Professor Daniel Dresner states in the Washington Post article titled, Why Don't Americans Care About the Pandemic Anymore? Quote, The failure to recognize and prepare for a problem guaranteed to resurface in the second half of this year seems like a failure at both the elite and mass public level. Leaders and experts have lost the ability to educate the public. And the public simply no longer cares to be educated. End quote. Biden and special interest groups associated with airline groups may be pushing the narrative that the pandemic is an event of the past. However, many of the American people are more than willing to accept that narrative unquestionably. The fatigue associated with constantly having to take precautionary measures to avoid COVID-19 infection is certainly a reality for many Americans. Pandemic fatigue is real. For many Americans, it seems to have become too overwhelming. Not to mention the fact that conservative media personalities have encouraged intimidation and harassment of anyone seen wearing a mask. In an MSNBC YouTube video from May 2nd, 2021, titled Tucker Carlson Slammed for Saying Kids Wearing Masks Outside Warns Police Intervention, MSNBC, a clip of Fox News host Tucker Carlson is broadcast in which he declares his belief that children wearing masks outside is somehow tantamount to child abuse and should be illegal. Carlson even told his listeners that they were morally obligated to attempt to prevent any children from continuing to wear masks. Similarly, in a April 27, 2021 CNN YouTube video titled, Tucker Carlson encourages viewers to confront those wearing masks, Carlson urges his viewers to ask anyone they see wearing a mask outside to take it off. Carlson's disturbing and irresponsible at best, comments promote confrontations between individuals protecting the health of themselves and others and the thousands of viewers of Carlson's program who may have become conditioned to believe his dangerous and misleading rhetoric. This pervasive and disgusting narrative is unfortunately not isolated to just Carlson. Brown University professor Emily Oster also used her platform to spread similarly harmful misinformation about COVID-19, positing that some of the precautionary measures against the viral spread were never effective, despite clear and abundant scientific and epidemiological evidence that shows otherwise. In her article in The Atlantic titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty, Oster declares that, quote, my vote this cycle is a vote for vengeance against the party that kept my kids masked for two years, that robbed me of my best friends. End quote. This is such an incredibly narrow, short-sighted, and frankly selfish viewpoint to project onto the internet that really disregards the thousands of Americans, including thousands of American children, that have died as a result of the pandemic. However, 
it continues the disgraceful and irresponsible narrative that Carlson promoted that COVID-19 precautionary measures should be advocated against instead of promoted. It is understandable why so many Americans would succumb to the influences of pandemic fatigue. Biden's government, under the intense lobbying of interest groups, has largely lifted mandatory COVID-19 precautionary requirements. Those that do still wear masks do so despite the risk to their lives and well-being from individuals radicalized by Carlson and his ilk's destructive and dangerous rhetoric. To put it simply, with all of the pressures, social and otherwise, to not wear masks, it can feel challenging to remain committed to responsibly following all of the recommended protocols to avoid contracting COVID-19. However, I believe that it is imperative to continue masking and following other preventative COVID-19 measures, especially as the pressures to stop doing so from individuals such as Carlson, Oster, and even Biden and those they have influenced begin to mount. Ultimately, individuals with positions of power may have a disproportionately influential position within American society, but they do not control it. The brilliance of the initial American experiment with democracy is that the people have the ultimate control over their society. They have the final say in how American society will function. While Dresner may have posited that the public simply no longer cares to be educated, suggesting that pandemic fatigue overwhelmed them to the point of indifference, I believe in the American people and their willingness to do the right thing. I believe that, in the end, no matter what lobbying airline special interests do to persuade influential American political figures to abandon preventative COVID-19 policies, the American people will help each other fight COVID-19 and will not abandon those most vulnerable to COVID-19 in much the same way that many of the most influential politicians in the United States have done. I believe that, when one listens to the stories of the American people, it is readily apparent that they are not as indifferent to the threat of COVID-19 as many of the politicians who govern the country are. In the March 2nd, 2022, Boston University Today article titled, You Answered, Are You Ready to Start Living with the Virus? Responses from a plethora of members of the Boston University community to the lifting of mask mandates are displayed. In one response, a GRS sophomore explains that, quote, I think the whole concept of living with the virus is utterly abhorrent. Not only are disabled and immunocompromised people not able to choose to live with the virus, but no children under the age of five are vaccinated, and children have consistently been shown to be at risk for severe COVID cases. All of these people deserve to participate in society to the same extent as everyone else, and their ability to do so is directly predicated on the measures the rest of us take to limit the risk of transmission in public spaces. Furthermore, even fully vaccinated and boosted people can go on to develop severe lifelong disabilities. So living with a virus means choosing to condemn people to a life of disability in a country that even before the pandemic actively made it difficult for disabled people to do just about anything. End quote. 
a calm part-time faculty member from Boston University, echoed these sentiments by describing how the lifting of the mask mandates, quote, means that older, disabled, compromised, immune staff become second-class members of the university, the way they are second-class members of society. The idea that we risk the lives of those who are most impacted by COVID so that the people least impacted by COVID can go back to normal is ableist and classist, end quote. Similarly, a law second-year student at Boston University indicated that, quote, school settings are cramped and stuffy, and I would not feel comfortable in them without masks and testing. Living with the virus is a frustrating phrase originally peddled by the same folks peddling medical misinformation that has prolonged this pandemic. Regardless, to the extent we choose to live with the virus, we must continue with basic, non-disruptive mitigation measures like masking and regular testing. Proceeding without these things is not living with the virus, but pretending that the virus doesn't exist and will put students at risk. Disabled or immunocompromised students will be especially at risk considering the abysmal response they have received from the university and the hardships they have endured trying and failing to achieve reasonable accommodations from the institution, which only seems concerned with money. End quote. The financial incentives to abandon public health measures associated with mitigating the spread of COVID-19 are certainly very real and even played a considerable role in the Biden administration's choice in 2022 to significantly scale back its efforts to combat COVID-19. A CAS junior at Boston University illustrated how, quote, society is made up of many different people. And the disabled, immunocompromised, and chronically ill members of society can't just decide to start living with COVID, because COVID can still kill them. And to our the burden of safety on those individuals is ableist to the extreme, as it privileges the abled. Disabled individuals have already expressed feeling forgotten by society as the pandemic continues, and things like dropping vaccine and mask mandates show that's still to be the case. I, like many disabled individuals who make up one-fourth of the world's population, not a small number, am sick of being forgotten. End quote. These are the voices of the American people. While those in power may have forgotten them, I, and so many other ordinary American people, never will. To those of you who may be considering abandoning masking, or those of you that have already done so, I strongly implore you to hang in there and wear a mask. Masking does not just protect yourself, it also serves as one of the most important resources to protect vulnerable communities from being at risk of death. If there was more universal masking, it would also serve to prevent individuals that do wear masks from getting singled out. After all, Carlson called on his viewers to confront individuals wearing masks. If masking were to become the norm and not the exception, this would become much more challenging to do. I personally have been asked on a multitude of occasions why I am wearing a mask. I know what it feels like to be the only person in a room wearing a mask. However, if even just one more person wore a mask, masking would become easier to do in social settings, 
Getting singled out by insensitive people like Carlson would become much more challenging if we masked in solidarity more often. The notion that American society should abandon masks is nothing short of ableist indignation. I, for one, will always strive to ensure that individuals such as the aforementioned CAS junior at Boston University never feel forgotten. The fact of the matter is, is that masking does work in all social settings, no matter what disinformation Carlson, Oster, and others try to spread. Even in my personal experience, this has been proven true time and time again. I have worn a mask throughout the entirety of the pandemic and have never contracted COVID-19, thereby protecting myself and everyone I interacted with. I believe that masking is one of the most effective tools we have at our disposal in our battles against COVID-19 to protect ourselves and our immunocompromised peers. According to the Tutu Foundation UK article titled, Connecting with Archbishop Desmond Tutu Ubuntu, I am because we are. Quote, Ubuntu is a word of African origin that means I am because we are. Solidarity, humanity, trust, and support for each other. End quote. The article expands upon this theme of Ubuntu to mention how the COVID-19 pandemic highlights the importance of connectedness and collaboration in public health. I often think of the word Ubuntu in these frightening times that we live in. I am because we are. I only exist because the communities I exist in continue to exist. However, we all live at the mercy of our own communities. Whether we want them to or not, the choices we will make inevitably ripple out and affect other members of our collective community. We can choose to make these ripples intensify into a wave of positive, cooperative action and change. Or, alternatively, we could choose to ignore the ripples we make, even if they contribute to a wave of negativity. Whatever choices we make will not be made in a vacuum, however. I hope that the next time you think about these choices, particularly as they pertain to public health and masking, you remember the word Ubuntu. Remember that I am because we are. The only way that we can ever have any chance of putting this pandemic behind us is if we all work together as a community to collectively combat it and protect ourselves and the most disadvantaged members of our collective community. The pandemic is not over. No matter how much Biden and his administration may want to write off the pandemic somehow as a victory of their governance, the facts do not change. The pandemic is not over. But it can be. It can be if we all remember that I am because we are. Masking together in solidarity with one another is the only tenable way that this pandemic can come to an end. I believe that we have what it takes to work with one another in order to make that happen. After all, uniting towards a common good is literally embedded in the very name of the United States. I strongly urge you to join me and other concerned citizens in masking for the sake of our collective community. This collaboration can start with you. 
It may seem like you are only making small ripples of positive advocacy by masking at first. However, these ripples can create a wave of unstoppable positive activism. They will make a difference to your community. And they will make a difference to me. If I see you wearing a mask, I will be smiling from behind mine.